You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Hey, so this morning is going to be just a a little bit different. Uh, For those of you joining us online, it probably feels different for you for sure. Uh, For those of you in the room, um, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're, we're going to be in a couple of different places this morning. Uh, because of uh, having no all-stars and people being online, uh, we're going to be in Hosea 3, but I'm not necessarily going to read that text. I'm going to paraphrase it, and you'll pick up why here in a little bit. Uh, but we'll also be in first, uh, excuse me, Second Peter. So we started a, a series a couple of weeks ago uh, called Binge Reading the Bible, and it was really just this thought, this heart uh, behind the idea of wanting to understand the Bible more. And uh, if you know anything about the Bible, you know the Bible is comprised of 66 books. Uh, But those 66 books are made up of seven different types of literature. And and so what I mean by that is you have the first five books of the Old Testament. That's called the Book of the Law or the Pentateuch, or some of them might have called it the Torah. And and that kind of shows uh, the beginning pictures of creation and and, and the world and, and, and kind of moving forward. And then you have the wisdom literature, and you have the histories, and today we're diving in to the prophets. And what I found so interesting about the prophets is in Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, he says, And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So when you read through the, the prophets in the Old Testament, obviously that was a, a New Testament book that was Second Peter written by Peter. And he's referring back to these kind of words from these prophets. And when you can get to the prophets, maybe in your annual reading plan, those can be some difficult places uh, to kind of walk through, to try to understand what God is saying, try to to understand uh, how he's saying it. Because in many ways, there's a lot of harsh language in the prophets. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Isaiah or Zechariah or Ezekiel. That's a, that's a good one. It's a really tough one. I preached through that for a, through a youth camp one time. And so um, that'll be funny to you if you ever read the book of Ezekiel. If you haven't, you should go home and read it because there's some interesting words in that book. Uh, and, and so you get to this, the, the, these prophets and they're proclaiming truth. And really what the prophets kind of do is in many ways they proclaim this idea of repentance and faith in God. So they, they say, hey, you need to turn from all of the things that you're doing in your life and come back to God. And these are people that were raised up by God to speak to the people of God. And what's interesting is the people that God raises up. And I, I think our, our kind of bottom line, our, our, our thought for this morning when we look at these, these books of the prophets is that God will bring unique people into your life. The question is, how will you respond? How will you respond to the unique people that God puts in your way? Will you respond and embrace them to see what the Lord will teach you? Or will you kind of push them off and say, wow, they're weird, or I don't really like this, I don't really like that. 
Uh, so we've been doing this binge reading the Bible series, and we've been doing it in an at the movies style. If you know what that is, that's basically where we take um, just you know scripture, we dive into it, but our, our kind of our our application, our um, I guess our our thing that kind of points us to our application is the movie. And so we've been looking at this movie called As Good As It Gets Today. And I don't know if you've seen it uh, or not, but because we're on uh, live streaming, we can't show any clips or anything like that today. Uh, we want to stay legal. Thank you, everyone, for keeping us legal. Um, but this movie, as good as it gets, it, it's really about three different characters. And they're three unique people. You got Jack Nicholson's character, who is kind of this writer. He, he is uh, a famous uh, female author, or I should say or an author for females. He writes books uh, for females. And he is an OCD, very rough around the edges, brash guy. Like, he really doesn't like people at all. There's, as a matter of fact, there's a scene uh, in the movie where a woman walks up to him and says, how do you write women so well? And he says, I think of a man, and I take away all reason and purpose. And that's just, you know, who he is. And uh, somehow he's become famous uh, for writing these books. And uh, because he's OCD and because he has these weird kind of uh, quirks in his life, he eats at the same restaurant every day and the same meal. And he has kind of uh, began, a, in his head at least, a little romantic relationship with his waitress. He, he kind of likes her and he likes to be around her. And he's someone who likes to do the same things over and over again every single day. And he's the guy that won't step on a crack because you'll break your mother's back or something like that. And so he goes to this restaurant every day and meets this waitress who is played by the actress Helen Hunt. And Helen is in a very difficult place in her life. She has a child. She's a single mother. I think uh, she even lives with her mother. And there's just a lot of baggage in her life. Her son is very sick. And so Jack Nicholson's character kind of endears himself to her. And then there's this third party, Greg Kinnear, who is a struggling artist. He, he recently, his house was broken into. He was robbed and he was, uh, you know, kind of beat up. And these three people their paths all cross in some way or shape or form. Greg Kinnear actually lives in Jack Nicholson's apartment complex, and so uh, he starts walking, watching Greg Kinnear's dog, which if you can imagine an OCD kind of brush, you know, brash guy who doesn't really like to deal with people watching a little frou-frou dog and taking him to go poop, that's fun, right? But the whole kind of picture of this story is three distinct people coming together uh, under, under one reason. At, the in, at one point in the movie, Greg Kinnear has to go and ask for some money from his family. It's kind of an estranged situation. And uh, he needs some help to do that. And so somehow, Jack Nicholson, Greg Kinnear, and Helen Hunt all go um, kind of on a road trip together. These are three people that are strange. They all have baggage. They all have different things in their life. But kind of the moral of the story is... You know, sometimes people are brought into our lives, and they might be extremely unique, is one way to put it, uh, but they really help better us as people. And I, and I was thinking about that in this context of looking at this idea of prophets, and if you go back to the story of Hosea, Hosea is called by God to, to marry a woman who, let's just say, to keep it G-rated, is not the most popular, uh, she doesn't have the most popular job, so to speak. Uh, she has a very different uh, and most times unacceptable job in the eyes of people. And uh, God says, hey, Hosea, I want you to marry this woman. I want you to take her out of uh, essentially the, the type of bondage that she might find herself in. And I want you to do this because I want you 
and your marriage to be a symbol to the people of God. Because the people of God will say that they love me, they say all of the things, but yet they don't necessarily do the things that God has, that I have told them to do. They, they, they are um, cheating on me, God would say. He, he, he said they, they, are, they are kind of stepping out on the relationship that God has with his people. And so he says, Hosea, you're going to do this so that you'll be a picture, that you'll be a picture of what it means to not be faithful and true, but you're, we're going to redeem that by you being faithful and true to someone who may or may not be so faithful and true. And that's a rough story if you ever read the book of Hosea, but I think it symbolizes in so many ways what the prophets do. Because the prophets are these people who, uh, in many ways, are generally weird. They're difficult. They are unique people. And God puts them in difficult situations and gives them a difficult task and gives them a difficult uh, lesson to speak. And he says, you're going to do this in my name. And when you do this in my name, good things will come. When you will abide by me in faith, the people of God will be blessed. And I can't help but think of the symbolism in this story and really throughout all of the scriptures to talk about that unique person. Because when we think about Jesus, Jesus comes to this world with flesh, born of a baby, and from the moment that he gets here, someone's trying to hurt him. He, he, he's trying to be killed as a child, and then as he grows up, he is uh, put in very difficult situations, and Pharisees and Sadducees and all the people in between are trying to put him in a corner and paint him his picture because he's saying, he's the son of God. You can't be the son of God. You're from Nazareth, right? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. And when we look at Jesus' life, what we see is a very unique story. Now, maybe not unique in the same way that when we look at the movie As Good As It Gets or Hosea, but what we see is a different thing in Jesus. We see something that none of us else have. It's the Son of God in flesh. And if you would just take for a moment, being one of the receiving people of the message of a prophet like Hosea or the message that Jesus comes, how accepting would you be to that unique person and that unique message? When people come into your life that don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they don't act like you, and they don't live the same rhythms of life that you do, how accepting are you to love them, to kind of hear their story? Because in some sense, I, I think as Christians, we, we, we love to gather and you know, put on our, our button-ups and, and be nice and clean. And we say that we value people that all people are made in the image of God. But how often are we willing to get messy and hear somebody who's not like us and walk in the shoes of maybe who somebody's not like us? We do it on mission trips, and we go in places, and we get uncomfortable. But how often do we do that in our normal life? Do we, do we listen to someone who is different than us? And I think on this 4th of July, when I was uh, kind of praying over our service together, we knew it was going to be special and we knew it was going to be a, a different time, uh, but I wanted it to be one of those moments where we kind of turn inward and we say, all right, God, you have brought so many unique people into my life. And maybe you're sitting there and you can think of someone who at first, uh, maybe it was the first date, maybe it was the first time you met them, maybe it was in college, whatever, you just walked away going, man, they're different. They're unique. 
But you gave him a second chance and maybe a third chance and maybe a fourth chance. And through that situation, a relationship prevailed. Maybe some lessons prevailed. And I I know this is true for my life. The first time that I was confronted with the person of Jesus, he was a unique person that I didn't necessarily want to have a relationship with. He was a unique person that wanted a lot from me, and I didn't want to give him anything. At least, seemingly, I thought he wanted a lot from me. Because I didn't take the time to grasp the greater picture that he gave a lot for me. And I really didn't have to do anything but accept his gift. And so I want to spend just a few moments whether you're in this room or that you're online at home, and I just want us to pray. Uh, I want us to pray for our hearts, that we'll be open and receptive to the prophet's message, as Peter would say in his letter, to to hearing and to being receptive to people, unique people that maybe God will bring into our life. Maybe you're that unique person for someone else. And so I want you to spend just a few moments and say, God, Is there someone that I need to be ministering to? Is there someone that needs to be ministering to me that maybe I am closed to right now? My ears and my heart is not open and receptive to them because they don't meet my standard of choices for friends, for acquaintances, for, I don't know, work people. So let's just spend a few moments in prayer together. Asking God to reveal to us people in our lives that maybe we can minister to, that can minister to us, that maybe are unique and they have a unique message like Hosea or they're a messenger sent from God to give you something. Let's spend a few moments in prayer. As you finish praying, I want you to reflect on those people that would have heard Hosea's message and heard the message of Jesus the one to repent and to believe. Jesus as this unique person traveling around doing miracles and preaching the gospel, the soon-to-be gospel, I should say, in his case. He's preaching this message that one day he will die on a cross for the sins of humanity. And all they need to do is repent turn from all of their wickedness and all of their sin and all of the things in their life and put their faith in Jesus, put their faith in this Messiah, as he says, and they'll have eternal life. Imagine being that person hearing that message. Maybe Jesus' hair is dirty and his feet are nasty and he has no place to lay his head, as Scripture says. Do we take the moment to listen? Do we take the time to hear the words of the Lord? Or are we too busy focusing on all of the external things? Think about Hosea's situation. Marrying this woman who is not accepted in normal day-in, day-out culture. And yet God says, this will be a picture of grace. This will be a picture that points people back to me. Hosea, the way you love your wife will point back to me. When I hear and read that story and when I think about Jesus, 
I'm wrapped up into this idea of the goodness of God. He is there for us through all things. And maybe you're listening online or you're in this room this morning and you're saying, I don't really know if I believe in the goodness of God. I don't, I don't, how can a good God do blank? How can a good God let blank happen? And I would just push back to say, maybe you, like me, didn't know the full story of Jesus. You thought he wanted something from you when really what he was doing was giving you everything. See, our God created the world perfectly holy, gave us relationships, gave us all that we needed. And he said, don't eat of that tree. And we did. And you and I do every single day. We, we, we dive into the things that God would say, don't do that. It's the deep end of the pool and you can't swim. And yet we do it. We disobey. And so for the next moments throughout Scripture, he reveals to us, throughout history, he reveals to us the kind of plan of redemption. He sets up the law so that we'll be revealed the sin nature in our hearts. Not so that he'll, he'll put up this system to say, hey, here's your do's and don'ts in life. But no, 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 these are the things that if you'll follow, your life will be better. But by the way, because you're a sinner fallen from grace, you're going to mess these up. So he puts in this system of sacrifice so that we would remember. We would know that our sins needed to be atoned for. And then God sends his only son, the spotless lamb, as the great sacrifice, the great atonement for all things. And as you continue to read the scriptures, Jesus pays the price and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And what we know is that for all of those who repent of their sin, recognize that they've done wrong and put their faith in Jesus, they'll be saved. And it gets even better from there. Those who will be saved and this earth included will be redeemed, will be restored back to our original state, wholeness with God and restoration and complete relationship with him.